It's good to see you this morning. Hey, in honor of Groundhog Day, and in honor of one of my favorite movies, Groundhog Day, I was tempted to preach the same lesson this week as I preached last week. The exact same one, just to see if anybody would notice. But then I had this fear that no one would notice. And I thought how depressing that would be. So, you're getting a new sermon today, but I do want to use the same starting point and the same passage to uh, uh, kind of jump off from this morning, and that's the very end of the second chapter of Acts. I got it on the screen there, Acts chapter 2, beginning in 42. They, talking about those very first Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, we talk a lot about what the Bible says about uh, what those first Christians believed. And we talk a lot about what those first Christians knew. But here at the end of the second chapter of Acts, Luke, the writer, gives us this great insight as to what those very first Christians actually did. When they got together, when they came together, during their day, what they did... They devoted themselves to some things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with each other, to breaking bread, to prayer. They met together. They ate together. They praised God together. And obviously they were telling people about Jesus because people were being saved every day. You know, we have talked the last couple weeks really around this passage talked about the importance of meeting together, getting together outside of here. Our life groups are going to address some of those issues. Last week, I talked about being devoted as a follower or as a disciple of Jesus and kind of the, the, the big meaning of those words and what those words really signified. This morning, I want to talk to you a little bit more about some of those foundational aspects of being a follower of Jesus, and it's found again in this same passage, and that's the fact that these very first Christians, they devoted themselves to prayer. You know, Scripture has so much to say about the need for prayer, so much to say about the importance of prayer. We talk about the fact that we are a praying church, and I think we are. But I hope we're not so arrogant as to assume that we've sort of arrived when it comes to prayer. I hope we're not so arrogant as to assume that you know, there's nothing else that we can learn or, or appreciate or understand about prayer. Do you remember one day uh, Jesus was praying? And his disciples saw him praying. And when Jesus returned to the group of disciples, one of them said, Hey, Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. Luke shares that interaction with us. Luke chapter 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now on one hand, this is a really odd request. It's an odd request, especially from this group of disciples, because remember, 
These were Jewish men that were you know, following Jesus around, and women for that matter. These were people who grew up praying. Prayer was nothing new to them. They understood the importance of prayer. They understood the promises behind prayer. They knew all those Old Testament scriptures about how God heard prayers and how God answered prayers. Prayer, nothing new. They knew what to pray for. They knew when to pray. And they prayed a lot. But when they watched Jesus pray, they realized, okay, we're not doing it the same way he is. Um... We're not praying the same way Jesus is praying. So, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Because I don't think we're doing it right. Now, could you imagine if someone came to you after they heard you pray and said, uh, come here. I don't think you're praying right. I need to explain to you how to pray. I need to teach you how to pray. You'd be a little bit offended by that, wouldn't you? You know, I heard you pray at church, or I heard you pray in our life group, or, you know, I heard you pray before a meal, and, yeah, I don't think you're doing it right. Let me teach you how to pray. I don't think anyone, don't raise your hand if you have, but I don't think any of us have ever said that to another adult. Let me teach you how to pray. Now, we say it to our kids, right? We say it to young children, absolutely, because we do want to teach our children to pray. But I don't think we'd say that to another adult. And yet, here are these disciples of Jesus, men who had grown up praying all their lives, that there was something about the way Jesus prayed that made them stop and say to each other, I don't think we're doing it right. We're certainly not praying the way he prays. I think we're missing something in our prayers. We're men of prayer, yes, but there's more to it, apparently, than we ever imagined. So, Lord, teach us to pray. Question for you. Could it be that there are still some things that we could learn about prayer? <laughs> could it be that there are some things that we need to be taught about prayer? Absolutely. In fact, one of my goals for, for this year, I want to learn how to pray better. I want to learn how to pray more like Jesus prayed. I, I want to be more focused on prayer. You all are, are familiar with this sign. You see it every time you fly on an airplane, the, the fasten your seatbelt sign. And we know that that sign comes on usually three times during a flight. Um, that sign comes on when you take off in a plane. That sign comes on when you're about to land. And usually sometime during the flight, that sign might come on, meaning that you're about, you're about to face turbulence. You know, there's some uncertainty ahead. Now, we know what to expect when we're taking off in a plane, right? We're going to go roaring down the runway, and the nose is going to lift, and we're going to be pushed back into our seats a little bit by the G-forces, and you, know, you need your seatbelt on for that. And we know what to expect when we're landing, we're going to come down, there's going to be a bump, maybe two or three, maybe soft, maybe a little bit tougher, depending on how you know, good the pilot is, I guess. But then the brakes are going to catch, and those thrusts are going to go in reverse, and we're going to kind of be pushed forward in our seat. We need our seatbelt on for that, we get it. But we're, when we're in the middle of the flight, and that sign comes on, and you hear the announcement, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the captain, requesting you please return to your seats and fasten your seatbelts. What's about to happen? 
Don't know. There's turbulence ahead, okay? There's some uncertainty ahead, but is it going to be just a little bump? Is it going to be like something serious or, you know, the luggage is going to start falling out of the overhead compartments? Are we flying into the middle of a hurricane? Don't know. You don't know. You just know something's on the horizon. Something's about to be a little bit, uh, you know, uh, turbulent. And then the captain says, we've turned off the fasten your seatbelt sign and you're now free to move about the cabin. And, ah, good. You know, there's a little bit of relief there, right? Smooth sailing again. Listen, I would say, as a nation right now, the fasten your seatbelt sign is on. There's some uncertainty ahead. I know for some of you personally, the fasten the seatbelt sign is on in your lives. Maybe it's a family issue. Maybe it's a work issue. You know, your job, your, your marriage might be at risk. Whatever the case, in kind of keeping with this airline analogy, you realize I'm not in control when the fasten seatbelt sign comes on. When you're on a plane and you know turbulence is ahead, you're not in control. The captain is in control. There's nothing you can do except fasten your seatbelt. You never were in control. And to a certain extent, I think here at Bay Area, I think the fasten your seatbelt sign is on. There's some uncertainty ahead. We just installed some new elders. Changes the dynamics, changes a little bit of the, the, the conversations. We're about to, at the end of this month, uh, share with you our vision statement as a congregation for 2020 and beyond. And there's a little bit of uncertainty there. Now, it's exciting, and it's pivotal, and it's defining, but how's it going to be received? How's it going to be accepted? What's God going to do with it? How's it going to play out? Now, I'm not exactly sure. It's a little bit uncertain. Now, the good news is most of what you read in Scripture takes place with the fasten your seatbelt sign on. Most of what we read in Scripture takes place in an atmosphere of uncertainty and turbulence. The Bible is not just a book of feel-good stories that really don't apply to our lives. You know, Scripture is, is, it shows God speaking into our world with really applicable and important information. In fact, the news gets actually better because when you read Scripture, you see God does His best work when the fasten your seatbelt sign is on. I think God does His best work when skies aren't blue and smooth sailing, but when things get a little bit dicey. You see God's hand and His guidance in the middle of uncertainty. David writes in, in Psalm 59, I will sing of your strength. In the morning I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. The Bible, again, it's a book filled with people who are in the middle of storms. And it's a book filled with God working in the middle of storms to show His sovereignty. It's when He's most active, to show His power. The Bible is a book very much about how God is in control. And it's a book very much about how we are not in control. For most people, though, for most people, we never want this light to come on, right? In fact, I.T. mentioned it in his, his uh, comments before the, the communion this morning. 
We don't want to be led through trouble or turbulence. We want to be led around it. You know, we just just keep everything smooth sailing. Just get me around it. I don't want to have to go through it. Just take it away. Just lead me around the storm. You know, I want to find something in Scripture that tells me you don't have to worry about storms. You don't have to worry about uh, turbulence. It's always going to be smooth sailing. Where are those verses, right? You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, that verse that we love to quote to, you know, graduates as they, as they leave high school or college. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you hope in a future, not to harm you. Yeah, we love that verse. But in context, God's people received that verse right before they were led into captivity. So even that great promise was given with the seatbelt sign lit, with uncertain times ahead. Let me give you another um, teach me to pray like that story. It's a fictional story, but I've heard it all my life, and, and I know you have as well, but it makes a good point. A young man is walking down a trail along a river, and he sees a holy man kneeling by the water praying. And this young man stops and watches this man pray because he'd never seen anybody pray like that. And he's really impressed with the man's focus and his devotion. And he just watches this man pray so fervently. And finally, this holy man finishes and he stands up and the young man approaches him and he says, excuse me, sir, I couldn't help but notice you praying. And boy, the way you prayed was really impressive. I I would love to be able to pray with that kind of fervor with that kind of attitude. Could you teach me to pray like you pray? And the holy man says, well, I can possibly give you a lesson. He put his arm around the young man. And then without a second's warning, he just dumped the guy under the water. And he's holding him with both hands as this guy's head is under the water and the guy's flailing and struggling, trying to get up. Finally, when he thinks that, you know, I'm not going to make it, the old man pulls his head back up and the guy's gasping and gagging for air and said, what are you doing? I couldn't breathe. And the holy man says, this is your first lesson in prayer. When you desire to be with God to the same extent that you desired air to breathe, then I can begin to teach you something about prayer. Isn't that a great story? (laughs) I hate that story. (laughs) I've always hated that story. I mean, come on, prayer's hard enough as it is, right? I don't need somebody to make me feel guiltier than I already feel about it. I don't need someone to make it feel harder than it already is. That story to me, it's kind of depressing. Your problem is you don't want to pray badly enough. Your problem is you're not focused enough on God. I know. I know that's my problem. Help me with my problem. See, intellectually, I understand the need for prayer. And intellectually, I understand the power that's promised behind prayer. So why don't I pray more than I do? Why don't we pray more than we do? Why don't we pray differently than we do? Especially in light of what Scripture has to say about prayer. Let me throw you just a a few of them up on the board here in, in the New Testament. Paul tells the the church in Thessalonica, pray continually. Then he tells the church in Colossae, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. He told the Christians in Ephesus, 
Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And then we're told this about Jesus. One of those days, Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Now, don't get me wrong. I pray. I've prayed all my life. I pray daily. I told you before I was blessed to grow up in a home that was covered in prayer. I'm married to a praying wife. And yet I'll confess, i got a lot of growing to do before I start to really understand and appreciate what the Scripture is talking about when it talks about the need and the power of prayer. I'm not nearly there yet. Now, for a long time, for me, uh, and to a certain extent it still is, prayer was a lot like uh, flossing my teeth. I understand the importance of flossing your teeth. I understand the benefit of flossing your teeth. I understand you need to do it every day. There's reasons for it. And good things happen to your teeth when you floss every day. So I go to the dentist, and the dentist says, Have you been brushing and flossing your teeth? And my answer is always the same. I've been brushing my teeth. (laughs) Well, you know, you need to be... I know. Okay, I know the benefits of flossing. And I do it sometimes, usually when something's stuck in there. (laughs) Usually when I feel like I really need to, and flossing might help, then I do it. But I don't floss my teeth every day. My wife does. I don't. Prayer can get to be that way. I got to check the prayer box because I know it's important. I don't really want to. But if something's stuck in there, then I'm going to pray. And if I feel a need, then I'll pray. But yeah, it's hard. I'm not saying there's a right and a wrong way to pray. But what I am saying, there's a difference between praying right and praying well. And I think we need to focus on ways we can learn to pray well. And I've become more and more convinced that part of praying well is learning to let go of control. Just to let go of control. Like I said, our natural reaction to uncertainty is, you know, take me around it. Take it away. I don't want to deal with it. Don't lead me through it. Lead me around it. Sometimes God does that. Sometimes God does lead us around turbulence. But most of the time, what you see in Scripture, most of the time what you see in your life or someone else's life is He uses those uncertain times. He uses maybe what we would call difficult times, difficult situations. Again, to prove His sovereignty, to prove His power, to prove His love. The Bible is not some manual on how to gain control. The Bible really is a manual on how to surrender control, and that is so counterintuitive to what seems natural to us. We don't like to give up control. But when you become convinced that you are not in control, when you become convinced that I can't really change this situation, what's the best thing to do? Pray to someone who is in control. Pray to someone who really can change a situation. Now, let me spend just a little bit of time, a couple minutes, focusing on this thought through the lens of a teaching shared by uh, the Apostle Paul 
He's going to actually give us some great uh, advice for turbulent times. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Here's what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A little bit of context here. Uh, Paul's a prisoner. He arrives in Rome during the reign of Nero. If you know anything about Nero, you know that he considered Christians to be public enemy number one. In fact, he considered Christians to be the perfect scapegoat for whatever was going wrong in uh, you know, the Roman Empire at the time. He blamed everything on the Christians. So Paul is writing this letter to a group of Christians who are 700 miles away from him, about a four-month journey. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Let me say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. In the middle of turbulence, in the middle of all this uncertainty, Paul says, don't get sucked into this same negative gloom and doom. The wheels are coming off. Woe is me rhetoric that everybody seems to fall back on. In the middle of difficulty, in the middle of turbulence, you rejoice in the Lord. Why? How? Because God's in control and you're not. Because God's the captain here and you're not. Yeah, the seatbelt sign is on, but you rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Interesting choice of words here. He doesn't say, let your love be evident to all, which I think I probably would have said. He doesn't say, let your patience be evident to all. Makes sense. He doesn't even say, let your faith be evident to all. What he says is, let your gentleness be evident to all. How many times do you think about being gentle? You know what's missing so many times and so often uh, not exhibited during times of turbulence? Gentleness. Paul says, don't let uncertainty impact your character. Be gracious. Be gentle. Don't lose your influence. Why? Because you're not in control. God is in control. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. (laughs) Here's where I feel like I need to step aside and let Scripture speak. Because I find myself getting anxious about things. So I'm going to let Paul, who was a prisoner, Paul, who had been arrested for being a Christian, Paul, who was before Nero, Paul, who was facing death, Paul, who was realizing that the cause that he was working for and fighting toward was in jeopardy. I'm going to let Paul make this statement because he's about to make a contrast. Do not be anxious about anything, but... In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And this is what I think is the heart of this encouragement by Paul. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And see, part of me wants to say, yeah, but I'm still anxious. <laughs> okay, great verse, but I'm still stressed out because I prayed to God and nothing happened. I prayed to God and nothing changed. I think Paul would argue that point. I think Paul would tell you, if you prayed to God, something happened. Might not be what you expected, but if you prayed to God, God went to work. Paul says, here's what you need to be. You need to be joyful, not anxious. Why? Because God's in control, and you're not. You need to be praying to God. Your, your prayers and your petitions, take them to God. Why? Because God's in control, and you're not. And then he says, here's what you can expect. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you grew up going to church, you know that verse. And I bet you memorized it from the old King James translation, because you probably, like me, since you were five years old, grew up singing, I got the peace that passeth understanding down here. Where? That peace that passeth understanding. Oh, we built that out. I had no idea what I was saying, but it was the peace that passeth understanding. Sing that song with a lisp. It's tough. <laughs> but what you know, I was always told that verse meant was there is a peace that we can't understand. And by the way, I think that's the right uh, interpretation. There is a peace that we can't understand. But what if Paul is also talking about the ability to have peace after you've prayed and it appears that nothing's changed? What if he's talking about the ability to have uh, peace when you've stayed up all night praying and you've prayed harder than you've ever prayed in your life and you were so focused on God and so focused on prayer and your husband still left and the boss still said, we don't need you. And the doctor still said, it's bad. Is it possible that Paul's talking about a peace in those times, in the middle of the turbulence? Again, what kind of peace is he talking about? He's talking about the, uh, the peace that transcends all understanding. He's talking about the peace that passeth understanding. No, he's not. Take a look again. He's talking about the peace of God. He's talking about God's peace being available to us, knowing that God is in control. And notice also, the promise is the peace is going to come before the change. Paul says the promise isn't that you're going to find peace on the other side of this thing. Paul says you're going to find peace when the fasten your seatbelt light is on, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the uncertainty. No, prayer isn't as much about changing things as it is about being changed. And I'm convinced of that. Change to know that God is in control, not me. Change to be able to be free from anxiety. Change because we've placed into God's hands what only God is capable of dealing with. Now, I'm trying to better understand that prayer is not so much about trying to change God's heart and change God's will. Is it, about, is it is about trying to change my heart and my will 
You know, some of the greatest words of Jesus weren't spoken to the disciples. And some of the greatest words of Jesus weren't preached to the multitudes or preached in a synagogue. Some of the greatest words of Jesus weren't spoken to the Romans. Some of the greatest words Jesus ever spoke were spoken to the Father. If it's possible, take this cup of suffering from me, yet not I want, but what you want. Listen, the fasten your seatbelt sign is on. Turbulence ahead. Uncertainty ahead. What should we do? We should pray. We should pray not what I want, but what you want. And with that prayer comes the peace of knowing I'm not in control. And that's actually a very freeing realization. To be able to realize I'm not in control, but God is. They devoted themselves. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves prayer. By the way, this Friday night, first Friday, there's going to be a group of Christians right here praying. There's going to be some Christians in homes praying. Check out your bulletin. You'll find all the details. We're going to be praying as a congregation this Friday night. We'd love to have you join us. Let's close with a prayer. Father, we rejoice in you. We rejoice in knowing that you are in control. We thank you for allowing us to speak to you and to petition you, bring our requests before you. Father, would you make us more like Jesus? May our gentleness be evident to all. May your spirit soften our hearts and strengthen our resolve. And Father, take away our anxiety. Help us not just to understand your peace, but to feel and to know and experience a peace in our lives that comes only from you. In an uncertain world, We put our trust in you. And in all things, Father, not our will, but yours be done. It's in the holy name of Jesus I pray. Amen.